but Paul, you won't expect any football analogies from me, will you? <clears throat> but I have factored into my time uh, the reading of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I hope you've got a Bible in front of you. Please turn to it, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read right through. <clears throat> in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say, what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Tychicus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful <coughs> to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you. And so do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul, Rosemary, and the whole family here at Hook, uh, thank you for the invitation to be with you on this special occasion. Paul, I, I suppose in some ways it may be an even greater encouragement for me to be here uh, today than even for my younger brethren pastors who have preceded me. I, I had the privilege of being the first of only two lead pastors the church has had 
in 56 years, which must say at least a tribute to the loyal and long-suffering congregation we both shared. <laughs> Paul, I was tempted to make my focus on those beautiful words in Paul of Paul in verses 6, 7, and 8. Look at them if you have your Bible in front of you. But you'll readily realize that when I looked at that, I thought it would sound more like an obituary rather than a celebration of your continual ministry. So my mind naturally turned, as the other brethren have, to verse 2, or their equivalent. Preach the word. But then, Paul, you have no need for that encouragement because you've been following that command for the past quarter century here, and, of course, even before then. I don't know how many sermons you've preached here uh, at Hook Church in the time you've been here. But as you know, I was very much a record keeper, and I kept careful records of my 29 years here. You've five years to go to win the race. Uh, I find I had preached 2,129 sermons on Sundays. That's not counting midweek Bible studies. And if we allow for every sermon to be 30 minutes, which you will readily realize is a minimal, uh, it means that uh, that is 1,800 hours of preaching or 720 24-hour days or two years of solid, uninterrupted preaching, which I freely admit it probably sometimes seemed like that as well. <laughs> Seriously, Paul, you have been discharging your obligation to preach the Word of God based on the convictions of the absolute authority of the word that John outlined for us a moment ago. And you have preached it, if I may use the words of the New Living Translation, whether the time was favorable or not. Your ministry has been to correct, rebuke, encourage, and I believe you've done it when it hasn't always been easy to do. And I may quote again from verse 2 with patience and careful instruction. Now throughout your ministry, and certainly through mine, there are of course oppositions and disappointments. We've already heard of some. The Apostle Paul knew this. Look at verses 3 and 4. Perhaps there has never been a time when there have been so much loose and careless and dangerous thinking, even among those who profess Christ. They simply want to hear what, as Paul graphically puts it, their itching ears want to hear, what pleases them. Uh, this isn't the time to discuss them, but you're aware of them. In fact, you have to be aware of them in order to warn God's people about them. But in addition to the false teaching, there are disappointments. We all have them in the ministry. I did. I still do. Look at verse 9. There are those like Demas, thinking of them, who walked away from the gospel and its truth, even when we spent many, many hours trying to help them. And look at verse 14. Not too many, I hope. Those who, like Alexander the metal worker, who actively oppose the gospel and cause trouble in the church. And then there are those like poor Trophimus in verse 20, who we value so much, but they fall sick. 
and then eventually die, and we miss them. And in addition, there are those occasions when you feel alone. It's not a comfortable picture, is it? But it's all here in chapter 4. Uh, Paul referred to this in verse 16. I know. Every pastor preacher knows what it is to feel alone. There are times when you're simply sitting in your study and you wonder, is anyone listening? Are any lives being changed? What am I really achieving? Ah, but we've forgotten the encouragements, and they're right here in chapter 4 as well, as around us here. Crescens and Titus and Tychicus have moved on to serve the Lord elsewhere. They haven't abandoned him. Timothy himself is busy in Ephesus, and he's soon going to join Paul in Rome, hopefully before the winter, because Paul wants his cloak that Timothy has. And even John Mark has been fully restored and is so valuable to Paul. And look at the greetings in verse 19. That delightful husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, who were constantly at the side of the Apostle Paul, and now they're busy setting up their home for hospitality and instruction in Ephesus. What an encouragement. He hasn't got them, but other people have. And he, even here in Rome, verse 21, there are so many at his side to encourage him, like Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And you, Paul, cast your eyes around here to the three or four men who've taken part just before me this morning. You had a significant hand in training them. And there are more. Those who, and I'm among them, have left a service in which you preached, humbled, challenged, encouraged, or more deeply thrilled to be reminded of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the encouragement I will leave with you. It's in verse 17. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Four points. Who does the Lord stand beside? Paul the Apostle was a Christian on active duty. And so are you. Why does the Lord stand at our side? Well, not merely to help Paul, give him courage, set him free from prison, but always for God's honor by bringing sinners to Christ. He did it. You did it. You go on doing it. Why does the Lord stand at our side? When we call him, yes, but not only then, because we don't always call. He's always beside his servants, even when they do not know it and do not call for it, because he knows what is best. And how does the Lord stand at our side? Well, the word that is used means to place something at the disposal of someone. In Romans eight and uh, verse six and verse sorry, Romans six and verse thirteen, Paul writes, "I quote: Offer yourselves." That's the same word. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, he's saying to the Romans, place yourself at God's disposal. But here, in 2 Timothy 4, the word is used of God. God Almighty places himself alongside Paul and offers himself as Paul's aid. 
What grace is this? All heaven at our service, sometimes when we're not even calling for it. Paul, in your pastoral and preaching ministry, you're never alone. But exactly how does Paul do this? Dreams? Visions? Voices in the cabin? I don't know, maybe you do. But not often. Because he knows the devil finds those things very easy to copy. I'll tell you how he does it. By the presence of his Holy Spirit and by the authority of his word. You have the strong support of the Holy Spirit who is always God with you and within you. And that is true of every Christian in this building this morning. God's Holy Spirit within you and always with you. And you have the strong comfort of the scriptures of which we've heard, which are your authority at all times. They are, after all, the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit and the Word. You need no more. So, in the confidence of that, I can simply sign off with the Apostle Paul at the close of this, probably his last letter ever written, and his last letter to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. The grace be with you. Amen.